This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen along with you. Well, with the start of the school year and their children either starting school for the first time or returning to school, many parents are concerned about the communicable diseases that their children may get exposed to in school. Well, here with more on all of this is Dr. Jacqueline Siskind. She's Assistant Professor of Pediatrics at Upstate's Golisano Children's Hospital and at Upstate Medical University. Welcome. Thanks so much for coming in, Dr. Siskind. Thank you for having me. So school or daycare centers, I guess they're places where children can be exposed to what we call communicable diseases, which are things that are catching, I guess. Tell us about that. Absolutely. You know, situations where kids are close to each other, uh, sharing the same air, sharing the same toys, um, eating near each other, putting things in each other's mouths, is a place where diseases can absolutely get spread. And I'm glad you had me here to talk about it because there's some things we can do to prevent kids from getting sick during the year. So on average, uh, I read some statistic that most kids in school settings can get as many as 8 to 12 colds a year, and that's viral, obviously, viral colds. Yes, that's true. What are the kinds of things, Are you, what are the kinds, the main kinds of disease entities that you're seeing with school age or even preschool kids? Sure. So what you said about kids getting 8 to 12 colds a year is absolutely right. And for the most part, especially in Syracuse, we tend to see those concentrated between September and March. And when you think about it, if a cold can last about a week and you're going to get 8 to 10 in that time period, for some parents it seems like one long cold. They get one, child gets better for a week, it's back again. It could just be like, oh, my kid is sick all winter long. And that number actually goes up if kids are exposed to cigarette smoke in the home too, so they can have even more than that. Um, so some families feel like it just goes on forever. Other things that we see aside from colds in daycare and in elementary schools is stomach viruses, um, especially in the winter months, and also uh, head lice can go around in schools too. So you think when you see stomach viruses, things like diarrhea, for example, those kinds of gastrointestinal problems, that kind of thing. Yeah, diarrhea and vomiting. Uh, a lot of parents would refer to this as a 24 or 48-hour kind of stomach bug, um, sometimes a low-grade fever with that too. You know, one of the very biggest controversies or concerns out there these days has a lot to do with the use of antibiotics. And I think that many parents, when they see their child with a fever, runny nose, um, just, you know, out of sorts, immediately think, oh, I've got to get antibiotics for my child. Why don't you give us kind of what the current thinking today is about this whole idea of viral and, you know, viral colds, like we mentioned, and this idea of bacterial infections. Antibiotics, when used appropriately in the right situations, are fantastic medications that can help get kids healthy and save lives. A lot of times, though, antibiotics are not needed, as you said, in a viral situation. Antibiotics kill bacteria, not viruses. And so if your child has a viral cold or a viral stomach bug, an antibiotic will probably only make them more miserable by giving them diarrhea, having them spit out a foul-tasting medication, and not making them better any faster. When kids have a viral illness, really the best thing to do is have them rest, give them lots of fluids, um, healthy, nutritious foods, and encourage them to blow their nose or you know, eat bland foods until their stomach's feeling better to help the body fight it on its own. And when you say treat it symptomatically, if they're running a high fever, things like Tylenol or baby Motrin or those kinds of things yeah. are the ways. You treat it symptomatically. Exactly. Kids over six months old can have Motrin. Um, kids under six months should have Tylenol. And certainly any baby that's under eight weeks old that has a high fever, um, a parent should call their doctor before giving Tylenol. So bottom line 
is, do pediatricians at this point in time have a definitive way to determine whether their disease, the child's disease is viral versus bacterial? And how is that done? Yeah, I think certainly if your child has had a, a fever for more than two days, if they're really not acting well, um, if you're concerned there's something else going on, you should bring them to the pediatrician. That's why we're there. And we love to see kids in the office. That's why we went into what we went into. So many times parents come in and they apologize to me. Oh, I'm so sorry I brought them in. I just wanted to check. And I always laugh because that's my job. If parents didn't bring their kids in just to check, I would be sitting alone in my office. <laughs> so we are there for a reason. Um, there isn't always a hard and fast rule of is this bacterial or not unless someone were to do a culture. Um, a lot of times a younger child you know, who has an ear infection, if you look in, the ear is um, full of pus and it's bulging. You know that that child is going to need an antibiotic, particularly one that's under two years old. Um, a child that has a, a bad skin infection or a child that has pneumonia needs an antibiotic for sure. So you mentioned, and also I just want to say the other important thing here is obviously the concern these days is that we don't want that there's this development potential of um, the superbugs, things that are becoming resistant to antibiotics. So we really don't want to overuse antibiotics or use them inappropriately for exactly. that reason because then the bugs kind of become immune to yeah, the antibiotics. they get smart. You know, if um, you take an antibiotic when it's not necessary, it's possible to create new bacteria that's smarter that won't react to an antibiotic when it's really needed. But even more than that, I think if someone comes in with a viral illness, they are given an antibiotic for some reason. It doesn't work because they didn't have a bacterial infection. And then the next time a child is sick and really perhaps needs an antibiotic, a parent will say, oh, that antibiotic doesn't work for my child. When the truth is it didn't work the first time because it wasn't the right treatment the first time. I think time. that's a very key point. Um, you mentioned things like lice, for example. Obviously, there are treatments for that. And is it important to isolate a child if they've been um, you know, found to have lice? I, well, I don't think they have to go, you know, wrap their head in a bubble and banish from society. But certainly if a child has head lice, it's important to uh, check the other children in the classroom, which usually the school nurse will do. Um, if you have other children in your home, the siblings should be checked, and any adult in the house should be checked as well. Head lice is not uh, a danger to someone's health, but it is a nuisance, and it's the type of thing that won't go away unless it's completely treated. Um, in addition to using the medicated shampoos and combing through with a fine comb to get all the little eggs or nits out, you also have to make sure that you're treating hats, pillowcases, stuffed animals, jackets with a hood, it can anything be a nightmare. that's touched the child's head, absolutely. It can be a nightmare. I, I think I've certain, many parents have gone through it. <laughs> yeah. It's horrifying at first, but then you kind of just kind of roll up your sleeves and, and deal with it. Yeah. How about things like whooping cough? I know there's been a resurgence in various parts of the country over the last couple of years, something that we thought had been kind of gone away. And tell us a little bit about that in terms of treatment, but also why has it come back? I'm really glad you bring that up. Whooping cough is uh, called the 100-day cough. When you get whooping cough, you are going to be coughing for months. There's a medication that's given if someone's diagnosed with whooping cough, and that will help them so that they don't spread the disease around, but it will not help them stop coughing. So if your child gets whooping cough, it's going to be a very difficult few months for you and your family. Whooping cough vaccine is given uh, when children are very young, two months, four months, six months. We booster it at 15 months and at four years old. And again, as kids enter middle school, the reason we have to booster it so often is it's an immunity that wanes over time, it wears off. 
Um, for a long time, older kids and adults in particular were not getting whooping cough boosters. And so they were carrying and then spreading it to younger kids, particularly babies that hadn't been vaccinated yet. And whooping cough can be very dangerous. If uh, your child is tested for whooping cough, they're going to be asked to stay home from school until the answer comes back that they're negative. If they're positive, they need to be treated for five days with the antibiotic before they go back to school. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm Linda Cohen, along with pediatrician Dr. Jacqueline Siskind. We're talking about preventing the spread of communicable diseases in childcare and school settings. Well, let me go back to that, but why has there been a resurgence? I think this is a key point. Yeah. If you are vaccinating, what's gone wrong here? I think part of the problem is that some parents now are refusing vaccines for their children. Um, part of the issue a few years ago is that adults weren't keeping up on their vaccines. Both pediatricians and obstetrician gynecologists have done a fantastic job of getting parents immunized, especially during pregnancies, women and their partners. So that's been helping. But a lot of parents now, in surprising numbers, are choosing not to vaccinate their children or to do it on an alternative schedule. And delaying vaccines can put you at risk for some of these communicable diseases, whooping cough being one of them. And also, doesn't it affect what we call the herd immunity? In other words, by having everyone vaccinated, the chances of the disease outbreak is much less. When you have spotty uh, vaccination, you have the potential for the disease to pop up here and there and then kind of get started again. Yes. There are some people that cannot be vaccinated for certain reasons, either very specific health problems or because they're too young for certain vaccines. Many children aren't vaccinated until they're six to eight weeks old, and so before then they're a vulnerable population. When a parent chooses not to immunize their child, it's not a choice they're making just for their child. It's a choice they're making for everybody. I think that's a really key point. So along that line, when should children be kept at home? not sent to school. Children should stay home from school if they have a fever over 100.4, and they need to stay home for 24 hours of fever-free time. That doesn't mean their fever went away with Tylenol and then it came back. You start the clock when they are fever-free without medication, and they stay home for 24 hours. They should also stay home if they have vomiting or diarrhea, and some daycares have policies about staying home if they have very thick crusty nasal congestion um, or a very bad cough. So what principles or standards do daycare slash public schools use to protect children? In other words, what policies are in place to make sure that we minimize the spread of these communicable diseases. In elementary schools, if a child goes to the nurse's office uh, for vomiting, for fever, for head lice, uh, a parent is called and they're sent home. In a situation where a parent can't pick them up, the school has policies to keep that child in the nurse's office until some responsible adult can come. Uh, daycares also have policies when it comes to diaper changing and hand washing. Uh, they use gloves for diaper changes, washing hands before and after preparing food for children, and policies also of when to keep children home to prevent spread. So do you, is there some way for a parent to assess, especially in daycare, private, you know, places, how effective or how, you know, what kind of programs they have in place to maintain um, all of these policies, for example? I think that a parent considering sending their child to a daycare or a, a private facility in someone's home should always go and tour that place ask what the policies are about children staying home, look around, do you see gloves near the diaper change area? Do you see children who appear healthy or is there a kid who's sick in the corner who you think, oh, that child shouldn't be here? Um, and specifically ask what your policies are. It's also okay to ask, have you had any incidents recently of an outbreak in this daycare? 
I think that's a key point. Um, this is a question I've been dying to ask for a long time. You know, there's been all of this talk about the hand sanitizers. Hand sanitizers seem to be like kind of the, you know, the, the golden ticket or the magic bullet for certainly for hospitals, for cruise lines, whatever. Do they do a better job? than just plain soap and water. Nothing beats plain soap and water. Hand sanitizers are very convenient. If someone had a choice between using a hand sanitizer and nothing at all, I would say hand sanitizer is a good bet. You actually don't even need antibacterial soap, just plain soap and water. We teach kids to wash their hands while singing the song Happy Birthday or Twinkle Twinkle Little Star or their ABCs. And but going, an entire song. An entire song, soaping the whole time in between their fingers, maybe going even underneath their nails, and then fully rinsing. Saying, um, that's the best way to protect yourself from disease. Well, I think that's fantastic advice, too. It would be wonderful if that was kind of a rule of thumb that everybody learned. Um, one quick thing. Do you, do you think that children's exposure to these kinds of diseases at an early age actually helps with their overall health and development? Nobody lives their life in a bubble. I think at some point, we're all together. Either it's a child that is going to daycare, a child that stayed home till kindergarten and entered kindergarten, or a child that was homeschooled and then enters the workforce when they're older. Um, and being around coughs and colds at some point helps us all build up a little bit of immunity. So you do, basically, once you're exposed to a particular viral situation, most likely you have an immune, a natural immunity that builds up, you'll be less likely to get it. Yeah, there are thousands of viruses out there, so we're never going to get them all. Um, but certainly being exposed helps. And that's the old adage, you know, moms don't get sick as much because they've had everybody sick around them. All right, just in the last minute or so, what do you recommend to parents who have younger children and older children and the older children are bringing all the diseases home to the younger children? Is there, should you be doing something to protect them or is it, once again, in their best interest to get these diseases? Modeling good behavior for your children is number one. Make sure you're always washing your hands after you go to the bathroom. You're washing your hands before you prepare food and eat blowing your nose in a tissue and throwing it away, teaching your kids to do the same. How about and coughing in your coughing elbow? Coughing into your elbow is the next thing I was going to say. Making sure no one in your house shares cups, spoons, things like that. Wonderful help. Wonderful news. Wonderful information. I mean, thank you so much for coming in and sharing all that. My guest has been Dr. Jacqueline Siston. She's Assistant Professor of Pediatrics at Upstate's Golisano Children's Hospital and at Upstate Medical University. I'm Linda Cohen. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air.